Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the Sustainable Development Goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoyed today's SDG Talks podcast. Hello, SDG Talkers. Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where today I'm going to be speaking with Umbretta Andruff, who is an Italian lady based in Miami, where she's been living and working for the last 20 years. Um, and she manages a program called Art Sale, and it is a residency for artists who come to live in Miami for up to a month. They go out, they kayak, they dive, they swim, they take photos, they take videos, they make interesting different artistic uh, components to life in the ocean and life in the ocean in Miami. Um, and then they, they use this to communicate sustainability and um, ocean action and really just to show off um, the beauty of the oceans. So in this episode you're going to hear a little bit about how culture can actually affect economics, how one seemingly short-term action like taking part in an artistic residency can unleash someone um, for the rest of their lives and have implications on everything they do thereafter. So really great to speak to Umbretta and I hope you enjoy this episode. Amazing, it's great to have you on. So I thought we could just dive right into things because I've seen um, from your, your sort of resume and your CV that you've been working for a long time in arts curation, um, art, creating arts experiences. So almost oh, just over 20 years and you've been collaborating with museums and festivals, galleries and all sorts of different um, partners. But now you find yourself in a slightly different place, but you're still using all of these skills, but it's a lot more geared towards using art to advocate for sustainability and local climate action. Um, and I'm really curious to hear how you ended up um, merging these two worlds and, and where it finds you today. Sure, happy to. Um, so, you know, it really happened after my move to Miami. Um, as you mentioned, I've been an independent curator by trade for my entire life. I, I did my studies in Italy and then eventually moved to New York and I lived there for 15 years and really died into the contemporary art world. And mm. um, I, I love it. I love spending time with artists. Uh, every studio visit I do, every conversation I have with artists, I, I learn so much from them and from the way they think and they talk about subjects and they really tackle um, you know, some of the most uh, existential issues that we're all dealing with. And, and on one hand, uh, I also always loved the ocean. I mean, I grew up in, in northern Italy, but we had a summer house in Sardinia, and that's really where I started diving and snorkeling with my dad from a very young age. And so I always had this uh, passion for the ocean and for marine life. However, I was in New York, uh, you know, that got lost. I mean, you know, I was living in Manhattan, which we all know is an island, but we don't necessarily have that much connection to, uh, to the ocean and to natural marine life uh, by living in the city. Um, so for many years, that passion was still there, but was kind of sitting in the back burner. When I moved to Miami about eight years ago, um, all of a sudden I'm on the beach, uh, quite literally. I start swimming. I joined actually a long distance swimming uh, group. So we spent a lot of hours on the beach and in the ocean and I started diving again. 
And that passion and that kinship uh, that I had lost uh, all of a sudden came back. And with that, I, the realization about how much the ocean is threatened by climate change, by man-made pollution, um, the, you know, those two realizations came at once. And I realized I really could not um, you know, be able to enjoy this marine environment without really tackling the causes that are threatening uh, you know, so much and have been doing for so many years. Uh, so I started thinking about what, you know, what is it I can, I can do to merge these two passions. Obviously, as you said, my, my knowledge about art and my connections within the art world, um, I wanted to be able to use that to some extent to really think about climate advocacy and specifically looking at ocean advocacy. So the idea of creating Art Cell, uh, which really was born as a residency for artists, was a very organic way for me to merge these two passions. Um, I thought, well, you know, Miami is completely surrounded by water, whether we're looking at the bay, at the open ocean, the river, uh, you know, the river of grass, uh, our beloved Bay Everglades. And um, not many people really, I felt, understood Miami from the point of view of the water. So I thought how fantastic it would be to give the opportunity to artists to come to Miami for about a month and uh, allow them to spend time on the water, below water, um, depending on what their interest and what their research they were pursuing uh, was investigating and uh, help them to deepen the research and their interest by connecting them to marine scientists, to climate activists, to marine experts that are local, that are very knowledgeable and deeply engaged with those issues and kind of see what happened. And that's really how we started about uh, now four and a half years ago. Amazing. Really cool. And and what kind of outputs do you then see when an artist comes to live and, and work in, in the residency? And so how long exactly is, it, is a typical residency? Uh, so the residency is about a month long. And uh, we launched thanks to a grant from the Knight Foundation, uh, and this was initially a partnership with a long-running nonprofit institution here in Miami called the Art Center South Florida. They were my first partners, um, down called Ulite Art, and uh, we had an open call for artists for a month-long project. And initially, we had four main issues that we wanted to investigate: uh, one being sea level rise. Uh, the second was about phosphorus pollution in the Everglades. Uh, the third was aquaponic uh, cultivation. This was in collaboration with our science partner, the Frost Museum of Science. And then uh, the last one was uh, sort of coral die-offs and coral bleaching. So we had asked specifically when we did the open call to artists to focus on one of these four areas, and we received some amazing uh, grouping of about 200 submissions from uh, literally all the continents, about uh, 42 countries around the world. And then from there, through a uh, committee that we had invited to work with us on the selection, we ended up selecting three residents. Uh, two were actually visual artists and one was a writer and curator who I had known for a while and had a, had been had a specific focus investigating art and ecology and how artists can talk about ecological issues. So a month seems, uh, you know, a good time. It, it flies by. So what we yeah. do, we really think about 
doing as much research and legwork prior to the artists arriving in Miami uh, so that we can facilitate the connections and make the introductions and uh, organize expeditions and outings and site surveys so that they quite literally hit the ground running when they come here mm -hmm. so that we can, uh, we can maximize those four weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and quite often are these people, I mean, because it's centered around the ocean, these are people who are used to potentially diving or sea swimming and they're immediately out there and and they've combined two passions of their own probably is that how yes and no it's actually surprising because uh for example blanca de la torre was our uh, third um resident uh she actually second sorry she came in summer 2017 uh she has um she had very little uh knowledge about the water she was not much of a swimmer she never spent a night on the boat uh, she had never snorkeled before. She never kayaked before. Um, mm. So that was actually one of the most exciting parts was to enable her to discover something that she uh, obviously was aware of more from, I would say, a theoretical point of view, you know, through the research and her connection mm -hmm. with artists that had been dealing with issues connected sort of to the marine life and to the marine world. But she in first person had never really had that kind of experience. And for me, it was a fantastic um, experience to see her growing fond of the Blue Planet that I love mm. so much. And we actually hired a Miami-based artist uh, as a history and, and nautical consultant. Um, Gustavo Viedo has spent his entire life in Miami really exploring the natural environments above and below water and South Florida history. And so I knew that working with artists who were not from Miami was necessary for us to have a guide, someone who can kind of take them by the hands and really help them understand uh, the complexities of the reality that we're dealing with. And, and Gustavo was perfect for that. And so we organized about seven expeditions with him, uh, thinking uh, really about giving Blanca a widespread knowledge about different parts of the waterways, Miami, Miami River, Miami Biscayne Bay. Uh, we did studio visits with artists. Uh, we obviously visited the local institutions. And um, I just love the fact that, um, you know, she still talks fondly about her month here in Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, really her experience with art sale and knowing artists here in Miami is always present in her research. She always mm -hmm. tells me whenever she does uh, talks and she gives presentations, she always talks about her experience and what we did. She has worked with artists she met here in Miami. And mm -hmm. that's really part, and you were asking about sort of the outputs and the outcomes, that's really yeah. part of what we want to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just enabling artists to come and have a wonderful time, which is absolutely fantastic and we all love that. But it's then what, you know, the, so what I call the so what factor, right? So we mm. had this amazing experiences, all well and good, then what's going to happen afterward? Like how can we really mm -hmm. translate uh, these experiences and the artworks or the text or the exhibitions that are coming out as a result into real climate and environmental advocacy. Mm -hmm. And so just by virtue of Blanca, for example, working with artists who are very specifically engaged with Miami and South Florida related issues in exhibitions at international level that she curates, uh, you know, we feel we do that. We feel that we're bringing Miami with 
complexity and its problems to a broader audience and that's that's really part of what we want to achieve totally it's that amplification effect and it really uh, i really like that that thought now and it's the reason that we're sitting here talking today because i was at an event last year an innovation week and i met a guy over lunch we had a bit of chat we weren't innovating in the same group or anything but we discussed it would be cool to do a podcast around the sustainable development goals and continue the amazing you know conversations and work that we're having in this week um and now nine months later it's like oh wow we've actually managed to achieve quite a lot and maybe you know quite it's almost this this story that i've just told you is a bit quite tangible but sometimes it's a lot of the intangible things that these people go on to do and just from that one experience how it is unleashing in, in, in its own way um so that, that kind of makes me wonder i mean where do you see this where do you see this blend of the arts and the influences on you know the protecting the oceans and sort of sustainable development at large and the sustainable development goals like where where do you see that intersection between arts and culture coming in with these sdgs sure so i had a really interesting experience uh last year i was actually in uh, in italy for a few months and um i attended a program that was organized by the fondazione pistoletto which is in biella and they were presenting a paper that had been released by the 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 eu uh, really investigating the, the role of arts and culture uh, within sort of the SDG um, you know, life and, and so how, you know, how impactful it is to use arts and culture to further the, uh, you know, the mission of the SDGs and, you know, in the variety of areas that obviously they're tackling. And um, it was fascinating because actually one of the um, one of the experts who worked on on this uh, paper is uh, Professor Pierluigi Sacco, who's someone I met years ago, and we actually worked together. He's an expert on sort of cultural economy, and so really the impact of uh, from an economic point of view of arts and culture within Europe as well as the U.S. And we actually co-authored a book about this a few years ago. And um, it was just fascinating to read that while no SDG specifically talks about arts and culture as you know directly linked to sustainable development, uh, when you really think about it, the way that arts and culture can communicate, uh, the way they can deeply move people, are you know t- connected to way that we can bring people to action, right? And so that's really something that. Um, we realized early on is that we could use this amazing ability of artists to communicate at more visceral mm. levels to talk about issues that are very gloomy and dark and mm-hmm. uh, depressing to, you know, certainly when it comes to climate, but, you know, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, income inequality, where we're talking about racial justice, whether we're talking about conflict. And so what is it that we can do to talk about those issues in a way that bring people in instead of pushing them away, right? And that's something that I think one of the, the biggest issues that we've had within the environmental space since the 70s was sort of painting this doom and gloom scenarios, which mm-hmm. are very real, right? So we don't want to sugar, sugarcoat the peel, but we want to paint them in a way that we give people the understanding that there's still something that we can all do, right? And I think that uh, while often data and uh, science may not be able to speak to that level, uh, art and culture can do that. So they can kind of fill that void. 
Uh, you know, I often go to panel discussions here at the variety of universities. We have some amazing professors and departments that are specifically looking at climate change and and how it's impacting, you know, our environment and well beyond our environment. And, you know, often you see the usual suspects sitting in the audience. You know, it's rare to see a wider group of people, uh, mm -hmm. local communities that are deeply engaged. So how do we break that, right? How do we uh, manage to communicate this? And uh, I think the art, you know, can do that. And I think, you know, it's also hard to quantify the impact, right? That's something that I've been struggling with mm -hmm. is like, can we really prove that an artwork has had an impact in changing the policy, right? Um, I don't think we can do that yet. Uh, but I but do, one day. But one day, and I think that uh, just by, you know, by virtue of the fact that we're here, you know, talking, you know, that I'm here talking to you, um, you know, you realize that art has a role, right? Otherwise, probably we, we wouldn't even have this discussion. So one of the interesting outcomes, for example, that we're working with, um, with uh, Blanca de la Torre, who's the curator and writer I was mentioning. Um, so we are collaborating now with our next artisan residence, who's a Miami-based artist by the name of Christina Patterson. And uh, Blanca has had this idea about working on a publication, essentially a book in a form of a dictionary, um, using terminology, part of it she learned while being here in Miami, and part of it it's more sort of, uh, you know, I would say global terms that are connected mm -hmm. to the climate issues like Anthropocene or Technocene. And um, thinking about this, uh, this dictionary, bilingual, in a way that we can talk about how different climate scenarios that could be affecting South Florida and um, in very accessible yet, you know, scientifically accurate terms, uh, looking at issues that are connected to ecology, to history, to uh, biology, to the local environment, and really hoping to create a resource that we can then share both with legislators here at state level as well as with university. We're going to have both a printed uh, uh, limited edition as well as digital version that we're hoping to mm. spread uh, for free as wide and, and as possible um, mm -hmm. so that we can really again tackle those issues and then adding the art element as Christina she's an incredible artist so she will be mm -hmm. drawing sort of the visual compendium to some of this term terminology and so this is an example for me of something that we're working on which has an artistic intrinsic value uh, mm -hmm. because the author and the artist are collaborating on this that has scientific accuracy because we will mm. be collaborating with scientists within all the specific areas to make sure that what we're, you know, what we're writing is accurate. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that can also reach wider audiences through a series of maybe exhibitions and panel discussions mm -hmm. and talks and book launches, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's really what we're trying to do. It's like, you know, let, let's take this the brilliancy and the creativity of artists and kind of bring it down, which doesn't mean dumb it down, but mm -hmm. bring it to a way that it's accessible to much larger audiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then uh, quite a lot of these actions, you're, you're quite often collaborating with with um, non-artists. How, how do you find that bridging of, of uh, bringing artists and non-artists together and how do you facilitate that kind of interaction and dialogue? 
So that that's one of the most exciting aspects of what <laughs> I always I always look at myself as a matchmaker, and you know I always said I, I get bored really easy. So for me, the ability to connect people who are not in my field, uh, such as you know scientists and biologists and uh, physicists. Uh, it really is one of the aspects that gives me the most uh, joy and that provides, you know, most of the learning. So there mm -hmm. are some fantastic institutions that I mentioned earlier. Um, for example, the Rosenstein School of Marine and Atmospheric Science, which is part of the University of Miami, um, has uh, labs that are dedicated to, you know, a variety of environmental sciences. Uh, one in particular uh, um, is the Coral Lab by uh, Diego Lerman, Dr. Diego Lerman, and they've been one of our partners from the very beginning. And when we have uh, residents that are coming and they're specifically interested in learning more about corals, we usually spend the day in the lab. We really understand, you know, what are corals? Why are coral bleaching? What mm. can be what can we do to offset, uh, you know, coral reef die-offs, and why are coral reefs, you know, important? You, and and really understand in again in, in a very easy and accessible way those issues, and then we kind of let that magic happen and have the artists mm. you know, think and sort of uh, ask questions and and interact, and then uh, eventually create work with that. And so actually, one of the most recent project that we did. Uh, was called the Coral Sonata, and it was in collaboration with a, a German artist by the name of Cecilia Tripp and her mm -hmm. son, Kerwin Rowland. And they came to Miami for a month in June 2019. We worked with the Rescue Reef, which is a citizen science uh, branch of this uh, coral lab that I just mentioned at uh, the Rosenstein School. And uh, mm -hmm. we did a series of dives uh, in the Keys where we recorded the sound of marine life around both healthy and thriving reefs as well as mm -hmm. dead and bleached reefs. And then the artist um, edited the sound and created this beautiful soundscape. It's about eight and a half minutes long and uh, mm -hmm. it can be heard on uh, SoundCloud. It's under the Coral Sonata, so it's accessible. You're gonna have to, to you're gonna have to give me that link afterwards so I can I, share it with I people listening. Send a link. I um, really want to listen to that as well. I just saw Sorry, total tangent. Continue, but I just saw an amazing photo on Instagram of someone in um, in uh, out in Ecuador in the in the proper proper open ocean, and there's just I'm going to put this link in as well. But it's a crazy amount of fish and sharks and all sorts of different like wildlife above them, and it's probably one of the coolest photos I've seen this year. Um, so people are going to see that photo and they're going to listen to this track that you're going to share, and they're going to be blown away. Because we actually we work with an acoustic ecologist to start mm. gathering sound files even before Cecilia and Kerwin came here, and you know obviously these are very subtle sounds, uh, but you know the the more you spend time underwater, the more you start recognizing you know this is the sound of a parrotfish, and then I'm hearing a dolphin at a distance, and mm. uh, this is a toadfish that makes like kind of deeper sound. And then they mixed in some sounds of uh, like anthropogenic sounds. We did a beautiful collaboration with the Little Haiti Cultural complex because it was important for Cecilia also to connect the dots and understand that issues that are you know happening in the ocean like sea level rise and coral bleaching are very connected to land issues like climate gentrification for example. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a similar time uh, with Little Haiti uh, which is a neighborhood in Miami that has been heavily gentrified 
Um, and uh, did some beautiful recordings with a dancer and a drummer from Little Haiti, and they integrated this recording within the sound of marine life. So it's a really beautiful, uh, again, ex experiment that we did, and we're thrilled with the outcome, and then we also created a, um, a ringtone. So it's about a 30 seconds ringtone. So I sent you the link to that, too. So that I ha and I have it here on my phone, so it's, you can download the ringtone and you have, you know, this kind of weird sound every time, every time the phone rings. We were talking about, um, you know, we, we were thinking about a way that we could also reach, you know, younger generation. And, you know, I often go to like high schools or college and obviously, you know, kids understand what a ringtone is. And so we thought having a ringtone uh, specifically as part of the outcome of Cecilia's uh, residency would be a great entry point for me to be able to say, hey, you know, go here, download this. And, and um, yep. yeah, so it's just a really fun way to talk about coral and coral bleaching. And again, start a discussion that may, you know, lead to some people asking questions and learning more about these issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's something really, oh, sorry, that's something incredibly cool. That, and I mean, the way that it can be used to tap into so many different diverse groups like you said is really critical because quite often with these things you'll find it's a bit of an echo chamber and really it's not about you know one person this is a, a slightly different but one person doing everything you know one person becoming completely meat free for example in a in, in one context it's more about everyone making a small action which will have a All much right. bigger impact at the end of the day um right. so there's 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 something that you had mentioned to me before which is that you're trying to have more of a focus on regeneration in the work that you do uh, and kind of moving away from sustainability, which is, I guess, using resources in an effective and efficient manner, but actually regenerating um, spaces which maybe require a bit of regeneration, like when you talk about coral bleaching um, and the loss of uh, reefs. Can you tell me maybe a bit more about what kind of work you've been doing in relation to regeneration? Sure. Um, you know, this is, I would say, it's really more about my own um, interest. And, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about uh, this period of, um, you know, looking inward, uh, because whether we liked it or not, we, you know, we couldn't travel, uh, we're stuck at home. And, you know, I was binging on webinars and, uh, uh, you know, absorbing so much content uh, because mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do. And so I really thought, wow, you know, I may as well take advantage. And so, you know, reading a lot and uh, and by virtue of attending all these webinars, I was able to really connect with some amazing people and, um, you know, learn so much um, and really expand so much my network more at the global level. And so this uh, discussion of, of uh, sustainability versus regeneration is really something that is a result of my uh, sort of engagement over the last few months with mm. a variety of individuals that have uh, definitely much more uh, experience and certainly much deeper knowledge, uh, but that really resonated, uh, you know, with me. I mean, if we look at the, uh, you know, the origin sort of sustainability, I was just reading actually the the seminal text that was published by Club of Rome in, in 1972, The Limit of Growth, mm -hmm. where, you know, we're really already, like we're going back to 1972 and we're already talking about the, an economic growth that couldn't continue uh, because of resource depletion and uh, increases of mm -hmm. uh, population, right? And obviously mm -hmm. that alarm went ignored, uh, you know, for so many years. 
And, you know, here we are now almost 60 years, 60 years later, and uh, I feel like we still haven't made that shift from just thinking about, you know, being sustainable to how can we really replenish and regenerate the resources that we have used already. And, mm-hmm. you know, my personal experience is obviously with the, with the coral restoration. So I always try to kind of bring down, you know, this, this very steps to sort of what I, you know, what I'm doing personally. And it's just amazing this, you know, citizen science experience that you can have where, you know, as a diver, you can go with the coral, uh, the coral lab and the rescue reef people and really plant coral, you know, I mean, it's Mm. just something, uh, it's magical um, that, and it's accessible. And, you know, I'm not going to say anyone can do it because, you you know, you do have to have a, you know, the diving uh, certificate, um, mm-hmm. but you know you don't require you know a, a master in it or a PhD in marine biology or anything. And so for me, it's like how can we move from again thinking about oh you know I shouldn't buy plastic, which is absolutely great, and I'm, I mean I wish mm-hmm. more people would do it, but to really think about how can we replenish the resources that uh, that you know we've exacerbated or you know nearly destroyed uh and Mm. you know there there's a really interesting um report that came out i think it was just a few months ago by uh the innovation group that's called you know that that is specifically about uh sustainability versus regeneration now they're talking about the three pillars uh, the environmental sustainability so really looking at the planet and the ecosystem Mm. social sustainability and the economic right and so how do you take this holistic approach uh, in a way where again it's not just about you know making society sustainable but how can mm-hmm. they actually become profitable by creating a sort of a regeneration sources for the you know for resources that have been uh, you know exploiting for years mm-hmm. uh, and again I'm far you know from from an expert in this field but it's just something that really uh, resonated with me and uh, and in you know that was talked about at one of those many webinars and then I kind of the light bulb went off and I'm like wow this makes mm. a lot of sense mm. um, that you know connected again to my own little experience of coral restoration and it just kind of I just was so really you've excited. you've been busy you've been busy during the lockdown it's not affected any of oh, your productivity. It's, it's, it's been an amazing experience. Uh, I, you know, I, I am getting a little cabin feverish, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to realize I haven't been traveling for the past 10 months, which I don't think has ever happened in my life that I've, I've, you know, I've been put in one place for 10 months. Um, but I feel like I certainly, you know, made the best of it. And, uh, you know, I connected. Uh, actually, the reason why I, can't, I came to you, it's through an amazing um, global... Uh, outreach program called the Global Summit. I met the woman who founded and runs the Global Summit, fantastic woman by the name of Melanie St. James. Mm-hmm. And Melanie invited me to be part of a webinar called One Team, One Ocean that was specifically looking at, uh, you know, sustainability practices uh, within sort of marine life and, you know, marine ecosystems. And uh, George Cummings, who's been an ocean ambassador for many, many years, a collaborator with Sylvia Earle, was one of the speakers, and we hit it off. And, and you know, now all of a sudden, I mean, Sylvia Earle is like, it's like my idol, right? So now I'm like, I'm one degree remote from her, and I'm just like so excited that I actually know someone knows her. And has worked 
with her. And honestly, this would have never happened if it wasn't because of the lockdown and all of a sudden all these amazing virtual panels that are, you know, happening everywhere. Mm. And mm. so um, how, you know, how fantastic to have that, um, that opportunity and to really connect. And I think one of your questions was, you know, what was interesting, you know, and, and, and sort of engaging for you about the SDGs. And, and that for me was finding a community of like-minded individuals, right? You, mm-hmm. um, you know, there is an incredible community here in Miami, you know, grassroots initiative, larger NGOs, individuals like myself that we're all really, you know, working together. Um, and to be able to find that at a global scale um, mm-hmm. has been a, an amazing in, enriching experience for me. I can completely relate. I mean, this conversation and these weekly conversations I have with people doing amazing work like yourself is just something you always leave so refreshed. And it it really gives you a lot of motivation to to really realize that you're all rallying behind one cause together. And it's not just you out there on your own doing these things, but actually a lot of local action happening all over the world. I think something that would be really cool to to, you know, for people listening out there, um, they could definitely find out more information if, if they're an artist about art sale just online and on your website and everything. And I can link that all below. Um, is there any residencies coming up? And of course, with COVID, everything's thrown in the air. But how do you normally structure that throughout the year? So, um, so exactly, as you said, because of COVID, we're kind of putting a, a, a hold on international residencies and we're looking more at collaboration with local artists. And as I mentioned, uh, Christina Patterson will be our uh, next com- uh, residence, uh, artist in residence, and uh, we have a collective called Plastico Fantastico, which two are Miami-based artists that will be also working with us. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, first, I'm always super interested to hear from artists who are working within this space. So mm-hmm. my email is ombreta at artsale.info, and I always encourage artists to reach out, share, you know, share PDFs or websites or ideas. Um, you know, we are not in a position now, um, I would say mostly from a, you know, an issue of, of international travel, but also from a fundraising point of view, because obviously these current, um, you know, situation has had a huge impact on our fundraising efforts as well. So we are not in a position to do another open call, which would be my dream because um, I discovered so many artists by doing this open call when we first started three years ago. So what mm. we've been doing, it's been mostly what I would call direct invitations. So I know about obviously a large group of artists that are working on very specific issues. I know the sort of the network of our science counterparts here in Miami and sort of what are they working on. And I kind of play, as I said, matchmaker, and I would, you know, directly invite an artist to work with us and kind of together we come up with ideas about projects. So now, for example, one of the next projects that we'll be working on with Christina, it's a, it's a, a partnership with the Friends of the Everglades Foundation and Bull Sugar. So we'll be really looking at issues connected to the Everglades, to the uh, sugar industry, to the phosphorus pollution, you know, from fertilizers that is causing algae blooms and a lot of other, you know, impacts and issues, both in our central Florida Lake of Chobis or the estuaries on the east and west coast. So mm-hmm. every project, it's very, um, you know, very much its own. There is like no kind of one size fits all type of situation, which I really enjoy, but also makes uh, 
you know, makes it really hard for us to fundraise and mm -hmm. uh, kind of create a system that operates smoothly. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's how it is. Uh, we don't have a specific calendar in terms of, um, you know, accepting calls, but it's just an open system where, you know, anyone who's interested is more than welcome to reach out, uh, share with us, you know, what they're doing, and then uh, we'll, you know, we'll take it from there. And uh, I have actually, as I said, connected to some really interesting artists this way. So I'm always very happy to to you know, open myself to that uh, possibility. Mm. Awesome. I'll definitely share all the links and, and everything with uh, anyone who might be listening out there who's interested. And as a as a kind of fundraising question, um, do you do you work with? Is it all public money, or do you work with private corporations regionally, or is it internationally? It's uh, so it's a little bit of everything. So. Um, ArtSell is not yet um, a, a nonprofit, so we don't have yet a nonprofit status as uh, you know as a 501c3 as we mm. would be recognized in the U.S. But I do have a fiscal agent, and so through the fiscal agent, we are able to apply for public funding through you know mm. grants, foundations, for example, and also individuals can make donations to ArtSell that will become tax deductible, and so that has been obviously a great vehicle for us. Uh, to be able to tackle both, you know, potential corporations or individuals uh, because they do that, you know, they do receive a tax deductible receipt, which is obviously always enticing. Um, my hope is really to diversify and look at more at corporations that have a specific, uh, you know, corporate social responsibility ethos that is looking at environmental or climate action and, you know, hopefully specific towards ocean related mm -hmm. issues. Uh, because, uh, you know, the grant system is very lengthy, it's very complicated, and it takes forever to find out, uh, you know, if you receive any money, and um, and it's really not sustainable uh, for mm. something we, you know, we want to build to be something that is, that is much stronger than what, where we are. So uh, it's, you know, it's a little bit of everything. I think that uh, it, part of what we're doing now is to create uh, more of a network of partners and so be able to do projects with them like you know friends of the Everglades or the Rosenstiel School Marine and Atmospheric Science um, and uh, and then you know enlarge our footprint enlarge our kind of social media reach and then slowly but truly build up to create a network of funding whether it's through private sources or sponsorship that can uh, you know build a strong platform to build on but you know, it's uh, it takes years, and I'm not very patient, so it's been challenging. Uh, but I also recognize that you know it is what it is, and I'm, I'm you know completely um, determined to make it happen. I'm dedicated uh, to to this cause. Mm. And, uh, as I said, it gives me an immense amount of pleasure and gratification to to do what I do, and um, and so I definitely want to make it sustainable. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hard work when when it's something you love and, and a passion is is nothing at all, and that's, you can put all the energy in the world into it, right? I mean, it's uh, it changes the game. But really, really cool to hear more about art sale and everything that you're up to. And um, I'm totally totally behind the cause. Massive ocean lover myself and open water swimmer as well. So I oh, totally. 
have to come and swim with us in Miami then. Yeah, please, please. If I'm ever over, I will 100%. And likewise, if you're ever in uh, Copenhagen or Scotland, um, then let me know and I can take you out to some lochs or to some open sea. Awesome. Um, we'll have to see about all of these restrictions. But but no, really, really cool to meet you. So um, thank you very much for, for today. Thank um, you. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from the show. Please share and follow SG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community. The goal of SDG Talks is to bring you value. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.